Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we begin a brand new three-part series brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. This first message shares the name of the series entitled, Changing the Way You Think. It is great to be kicking off this new series today on 1 Corinthians called Changing the Way We Think. And uh, today's really different from uh, most messages you hear at Rocky Peak. Uh, if you're regular here, you'll recognize that right away. If you're new, uh, that this will be uh, probably something you know. Is that, you know, typically here, uh, uh, we'll take some time to unpack a, a section of Scripture and then get real practical with it. Today, it's going to be much more academic than normal. Uh, it's going to be much more background information. Some of you are going to love that. Uh, some of you are going to hate that. I know some of you are wired that you just like, oh, tell me more about the background. Tell me about the, the kind of the flow of the passage, the content. Give me, I want to know about Corinth. Give me all this information. You're just going to be like, wow, every week could be like this week. This would be a great church. <laughs> and uh, some of you are going to be like, man, could you just tell me what I need to do tomorrow? If it doesn't have to do with tomorrow, I don't want to know about it. And so we all are wired differently. But, you know, I was thinking about it. As you drive through your neighborhood or you go through an area of town, oftentimes you'll see some building taking place. And you wonder sometimes, what's going to be built there? And uh, it takes a while. It's a kind of a boring stage is where they, they doze the land, you know, level the land, then they dig the footings and everything, and they, they, then they lay the foundation. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it seems like it's going on forever and nothing is happening. And then so one day you drive home from work and all of a sudden the framing is up and like an overnight, like in a day or two. And it's like, whoa, now I see what it's going to be. It's exciting now. And so um, as we go through this path, what we're really doing today is we're laying that foundation. And uh, it's so critical because it may look like a, not, a lot uh, is happening in terms of that building going up. But the reality is if the foundation isn't laid properly, the whole building's going to be askew. It's not going to last. And so what we're doing today, incredibly important. So if you love it, sit back and enjoy it. If you love this kind of thing. Uh, if, if you don't, if it's like, oh man, I just, I just like the practical stuff. Well, I've, I promise I've, I put some practical stuff in here today just to help you out. Okay, so as we go through, uh, I will. T- I might even tell you, hey, it's practical, so wake up now, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so, because I know that some of you, it's like it's going to feel like school, and then it's been, you're going to be spitting, you know, shoot, wa- doing the spit watch from the back row. It's just going to bring all kinds of body memories. But anyway, uh, so so let's uh, let's jump in. Uh, there's four things that we're going to be doing today. First, I want to talk a little bit about the church uh, at Corinth. Uh, well, not actually the church, but we want to talk first of all about the city of Corinth. You know, if, if someone wrote a letter to uh, the Church of Rocky Peak, let's say Billy Graham wrote us a letter, and then we're jumping ahead 2,000 years in time, and someone discovers that letter and they're reading it. Can you imagine t- how hard it would be to understand what he was even talking about if we didn't know a little bit about Los Angeles or the American culture? It's like, well, what is he even talking about here? And so we need to understand a little bit about the city of Corinth. The second thing, we need to know a little bit about what was going on in the church, how the church got started, uh, uh, what happened when Paul was there, what happened after he left, because, of course, he's writing to address the issues in the church. The third thing we want to do is we just want to take a real cursory look at the first nine verses. It's an introduction to the letter, and so it kind of lays, sets the stage for the whole letter. And then the last thing is I want to come back and end up with some life lessons that are incredibly important for us as we follow Jesus here uh, in our own culture. So let's jump in. Let's talk about Welcome to Corinth, one strategic city. Now, we're going to do a little map work. So uh, if it hasn't felt like school yet, here it goes, all right? So take your notes, turn them over to the back, and there's a map on there. You need to pull out like a pencil or a pen or a marker. Uh, if you're just really like uh, really nerdy, maybe you have like a yellow highlighter. That'd be great. Uh, so um, you're like, oh no, like, my wife has one. No, just kidding. Sorry. Uh, so uh, if she did, it would be mine. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so we're going to do a little map work here to set the stage, understanding kind of what was going on in in uh, in this letter. So you got your map? I don't have mine. Let me get it. Okay. Now we're going to get oriented. Go to the bottom of the map where it says Mediterranean Sea. Now if you go on a cruise this summer in the Greek Isles, that will look familiar to you. So mark Mediterranean Sea. Now go to the right on your map uh, to the coastline and find Jerusalem. Got that there? See it? I've lost you already. <laughs> You're not even playing along. Can you just nod and pretend for the next five minutes? Just kind of... Okay, Jerusalem, you got it? Okay, mark it. Circle it or something like that. Now move up the coastline till you find Antioch up in the north. Antioch was Paul's home church. 
So, for example, if we sent a missionary out from Rocky Peak to Uganda, and they were going to be there, uh, and they would come back periodically and report on how the ministry is going in Uganda, right? That's how missionaries come back on furlough and things like that. Well, Paul was sent out from the church at Antioch. So he'd go do his ministry. He'd always return to Antioch, let them know what's going on. Now, follow the coastline around to the left and go up to about the middle of the page and find the town of Ephesus and circle that. Ephesus is the city where Paul went after Corinth, and it's where he was at when he wrote his letter to the, of 1 Corinthians. And that's where he was at when he wrote this letter we're studying. Now, move up the coastline, go counterclockwise, find the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica, and mark those. These were two churches that Paul planted right before Corinth. In fact, we have some letters in the Bible to these churches. So the letter to uh, Philippi would be what? Philippians. So good. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the first and second Thessalonians. Right. Okay. Now move down the coast. You come to Athens. Of course, Athens was a very important city in the ancient world. It was uh, the center of Greek philosophy, which will play a role in our story. It's the home of Aristotle, the home of Plato, uh, you know, all the great uh, Greek buildings and all, hundreds of years before Paul showed up on the scene. Now, now we're going to take a little trip. We're going to get in our chariots here. And we're going, to go, we're going to move from Athens. We're going to go across that little land bridge there to the left to the town of the city of Corinth. See that? Now, that land bridge is four to six miles across. And what would happen, one of the reasons, uh, Corinth was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. Uh, it was a Roman colony. It was uh, destroyed about 200 years before Paul showed up. The city was destroyed in warfare. A hundred years before he showed up, it was rebuilt as a Roman colony, so a Roman city. So if you ever study, you remember Roman cities. You know, they have the, the east-west and the north-south, uh, uh, north uh, uh, yeah, north-south, east-west uh, streets. And, uh, and they have the forum and the markets, and they'd have the Roman temples and the, the justice and the law courts and the soldiers. And it was the seat of government for that whole area. So it was a very important Roman city. And it was built about 100 years before Paul came along. Um, but it also was, the reason Rome built there was because it was so strategic a location. If you notice there, to the, on the north part of that, that area, right above Corinth, if you look at there, look for the all caps letter that says Macedonia, and circle that. And then to the south of it, the all caps, it says Achaia. These were two provinces in ancient Greece. And so, um, if you look right below Achaia, you see where Corinth is. I want you to notice that Corinth is basically um, a seaport. It wasn't right on the sea, but for practical purposes, it was a seaport. And it was, had a, it, so it had access to the ocean on both sides of it. And notice that, that that southern section, it's almost an island down there, that southern section of Greece. You see how that's like it's covered on all sides except for that land bridge. It's, covered by, uh, it's, it's surrounded by water. That, that southern section, at the, at the tip of it, down to the very south, was called Cape Malia. And the only reason I mention that was Cape Malia was one of the most treacherous, treacherous areas for, uh, for ocean, you know, for ships in all the Mediterranean. In fact, if you, if you know the book of Acts, you know that Paul almost lost his life in a shipwreck in the book of Acts. It was off of Cape Malia. Cape Malia was so dangerous that sailors had written certain sayings about it. We know these from their ancient writings. Like one of their sayings was, if you're going to, if you're going to sail around Cape Malia, say goodbye to your friends. You know? Another one was, if you're going to sail, sail the Cape, uh, make sure your will is in place. Very dangerous. Now it was so dangerous that because of that, people that were coming from the west, so look at your map, and this is not on your map, but kind of across from Corinth to the left, off the map, right Roman there. Because, of course, Rome is off to the west. Think of the boot of Italy. So all the travel that was coming from the west, it would often come through Corinth, and here's why. The sea captains did not want to sail around Cape Malia. So they would sail right up to Corinth. They would unload all of their merchandise. They would truck it across that four to six mile uh, uh, isthmus there that land uh, bridge, they would reload it on a different vessel and then pass it on. In fact, small, they'd actually built a road across that, uh, that, that isthmus 
and had a special name and everything, a stone road the Romans built, so that you could actually take smaller ships and they would pull them out of the harbor, they would put them on rollers, and they would roll it four to six miles across the landmass and put them back in the ocean again. And then they would sail on their journey. So you can see what this means. It means that all travel, if you look at your map, all travel north and south in Greece had to go through Corinth, and much travel east and west went through Corinth. And so what it created was it was a strategic crossroads where people from all backgrounds, all cultures, all socioeconomic things came. It was a place where you went to to make your money, to make a name, very competitive, very entrepreneurial place. It was a place where um, uh, one one writer has compared it to San Francisco in the early 1900s, like a gold rush boom town. And so, you know, people were coming through there. It was a place where, man, you had Roman citizens and Roman guards and the Roman army station, but you had all the Greek uh, history and all the Greek background. And it was just uh, a very cosmopolitan place. Let me tell you a little bit what it was like to live there. Just some things, you know, uh, uh, the characteristics of the town. Uh, it was big on philosophy, kind of like a college town. Think of it like a university town. Very intelligentsia-oriented. Uh, they were very proud of their philosophers. Uh, philosophers would come from all over to teach there. Uh, trained speakers and uh, trained in rhetoric would come and they would give, for public entertainment, they would speak on a variety of topics. Big time, this was big time. They would have uh, uh, art, a lot of arts and drama and they would have huge theaters. Th- they would hold thousands of people. They'd do their plays. Um, it was a place, it was a big sports town. You know, I talked about the NFL draft yesterday. But they had a big sports town. The o- Olympic Games were only not that far away in Olympia, which was in that southern section of Greece, down that, that southern like island section in the south. Um, but also right in Corinth, uh, the, the, you know, the biggest games were the, the Olympics. But the second biggest games were, um, the, they were called the Isthmian Games for the Isthmus, like, you know, that, that Pan- like the Isthmus of Panama. They're in Corinth there. And they happened every two years and all the greatest athletes would come. And it was huge, big circus and tents and entertainers. And these athletes would train for nine months under vigorous rules to even be able to compete in the games. And, and so big time uh, entertainment place. A religiously really diverse, much like our culture today, so diverse. It was really diverse. They had mystery religions from the East coming in with their secret initiations and secret rites. Uh, they had all their pagan uh, temples around. They had a huge uh, a temple to Apollo there, a t- huge temple to Poseidon. And these temples were places where you'd hang out. This is where social life happened. You'd have your potlucks there, your sacrifices there. You meet the dignitaries there. Uh, Roman, uh, the Romans had brought an emperor worship, really big in the town. So you can kind of get to feel this place, just a, really a hubbub. Uh, very immoral place. Um, one of the most famous temples there was right outside the city. There was this Acropolis. It was a 2,000-foot mountain that just kind of comes up from the plains, much like a stony peak over here. But it's, imagine 2,000 feet high, and it was a fortress during times of war. The city would, would go there, and they would, they would hang out there on top of the fortress uh, to, to defend themselves. Well, guess what was up there? The temple to Aphrodite who is the the goddess of love and war. And so um, at one time, we know several hundred years before the time of Paul, one of the ancient historians said that the temple of Aphrodite, there were a thousand sacred prostitutes that would, would be there to help with the worship that would take place there. Now, we don't know at the time of Paul whether there was that many sacred prostitutes. We just don't know. It could be, could, uh, maybe not. Uh, we don't even know for sure if sacred prostitution was going on. But you, it's totally Corinth, uh, the whole field, a very immoral place. In fact, they even had a term in the ancient world to Corinthianize someone was to fornicate, to have sex outside of marriage. A Corinthian girl, that was a name for a lady who was easy, uh, a promiscuous, a sleep with anyone. That was being a Corinthian girl. And so very wild place, party atmosphere. One author said, this is the place where L.A. meets uh, New York meets Las Vegas, you see. And I'll tell you, as I study this this city, I'm going, this is like Southern California. It's like, welcome to L.A., you know. It's like, this is our world, isn't it? This crazy world, so diverse, so cosmopolitan, filled with uh, uh, military, uh, filled with uh, uh, entrepreneurs, filled with philosophers and, and entertainers. And it's just this crazy cosmopolitan place. And here God calls 
this Apostle Paul to come in out of t- in this town and to, with this crazy message. This message that must have seemed nutso to them. This message that this crucified Jew out in the backwaters of Palestine is actually the Lord of the universe. They had, the, they had lords of the universe. They had many lords, many gods. And here comes Paul saying, hey, there's this guy, he's a crucified Jew. He wasn't even strong enough to beat the Romans. In fact, the Romans put him to death. The Romans here in control of your city, this Roman city, those Romans put him to death. But I got news for you. He's actually the creator of the universe. And he's coming back. And you better get right. And he's got a plan for your life and he can change your life and he's got a whole new way of living and he can come and change you from the inside out. Can you imagine how crazy that message must have been? You know, we we live in this time where Christianity is well known and we understand it's established and so on. It's like, oh, it's a part of life and there's Christians, there's not Christians, we understand that. Imagine how crazy that was. Imagine how foolish that message sounded in this college town of high philosophy. We'll be studying that in the next couple of weeks. And he comes, he says, yeah, this crucified Jew, he's the king of the universe, and you better get right with him. (laughs) Well, most of them blew him off. But there were some who God called, some who God called by his spirit to open their eyes to see who this Jesus was, and that as crazy as the message was, it really was truth. And the church of Corinth was born. The church of Jesus Christ at Corinth was born. So what do we know about that church? Well, the next section. How it got to start. This week in your life groups, you're going to be studying this. In Acts chapter 18, we have from uh, Luke the, the, the whole account of how this church got started. Um, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time in it here. You'll be studying that. If you're not in a life group, be sure to study it this week because you're going to need that information as we go into this series. Just do the life group homework. Um, and by the way, as you do the life group homework this week, here's a tip for you in your life groups. Uh, leaders especially pay attention is, you know, when we write the homework for the, the life groups, we don't intend that you discuss all the questions in your group. That'd be really boring. You know, it's like, how long did Paul stay in Corinth? A year and a half. What'd you get? A year and a half. What'd you get? A year and a half. You know? Uh, okay, well, uh, where did he come from before he got there? Athens. What'd you get? Athens. What'd you get? Athens. Wow, you know, this is really amazing discussion here. <laughs> uh, you know, lots of times we write questions just to make sure you get the information out of the text. When you get to your life groups, you should be discussing those questions that are like, you know, the why questions and the what impressed you questions and those kind of things. So just a hot tip, okay? Otherwise, this is going to be the most boring week ever in life groups. And like, okay, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla, okay. So. All right. So we're not going to go into great detail, but let me tell you a little bit about it. Paul was there a year and a half, which was pretty long for him. He usually didn't stay in a place that long. He stayed there a year and a half, and that's a pretty long time, because stop and think about it. Lynn and I have been here at Rocky Peak for a year now. We just, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary. And so imagine now, let's go ahead to the fall. It's like October. We've been here a year and a half. That's a pretty long time, right? We, we've connected pretty well. Now imagine instead of a church that's, you know, thousands, we're a church of like 200. And imagine that we'd be just doing life together all the time, and we would know each other really quite well. So he was very close to these people and had really invested in their lives. And so after he left... He leaves, and you'll study it this week. He goes down, goes back to Antioch, his hometown. But he he eventually goes um, out to Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, okay? And he stays there in Ephesus for three years doing ministry there. At the end of his time in Ephesus, he's been now, you know, three or four years since he's been to Corinth, he gets a series of reports from people that the church is all messed up. I mean, they got major problems going on. Uh, They're having a church fight over leadership, how crazy is that? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, yeah, this, uh, can you imagine a church split over leadership? I mean, that's just out there. You know, like, hard to imagine, but yes, it happened. So, so they, they got that going on. Um, they, what else they've got going on? They've got, um, oh, sexual immorality. They brought that from the culture in with them. And so, so uh, there, there's people sleeping together. Oh, it's no big deal. We're gonna, when we die, we'll lose our bodies anyway. Who cares, you know? And so it's like, what? One guy's living with his, uh, his, his one guy's sleeping with his, uh, his father's wife. You know, it's like not his mother, but his, you know, uh, I guess stepmom or whatever. And everyone's thinking like, oh, no problem. We're good with that. Paul's like, huh? Uh, you know, uh, chapter six, they're suing each other, taking each other to court. Oh, that's a great witness. You know, oh, oh, we, you'll know us by our love. By the way, you know, I'm suing you. Uh, 
chapter 7, they've got questions about marriage and divorce and singleness and that whole thing. Uh, they're fighting over like lifestyle issues like tattoos. Is it okay for Christians to have tattoos? Not really. They're, they're fighting over things like meat sacrifice to idols. We fight over things like tattoos. But anyway, um, so they're, they're having squabbles over that. Oh, here's a good one. They're, uh, during their church services, when they celebrate communion, they'd use real wine uh, back in those days. Anyway, so they, they, but they're all getting drunk during their church service. They had a pot like, hey, I'll have another one, you know, here's to you. And it's like, like can you imagine this? I mean, just how lame is this? You know, I, you know, Pastor Mike, you know, I leave, I'm, you know, calling back the church at Rocky Peak. Hey guys, I, I've got a hot tip. You're not supposed to be getting drunk during communion. Okay, just knock it off, you know, stop getting drunk. It's like, can you see what I'm saying? This church has got some problems. Oh, they're really big into spiritual gifts. One thing that's huge throughout the book, we'll talk about it later, is that when God showed up in their lives and they were converted, God really did some amazing supernatural things in their life to show that it really was the truth. And some of those things, he gave them some very supernatural uh, spiritual gifts, things like the gift of tongues, the ability to, to speak in languages you've never learned as you speak to God or pray to God. Gifts of prophecy, the ability to, to speak out uh, kind of direct words from God to the congregation. Miracles. So God had done these amazing supernatural things. Well, it had gone to their head. They started thinking, well, the mark of true spirituality is speaking in tongues. So they get together in their church service, they all be speaking in tongues. Outsiders are coming in, visitors thinking, these people are crazy. So, so just problem after problem after problem. So here's Paul in Ephesus. It's been three, four years since he's been there. He starts getting these reports through the grapevine. There's a lady named Chloe who's a rich lady in the church and some of her household come to visit uh, Paul. And they say, hey, they're fighting over leadership. We're about to have a church split over leadership. Uh, here, here's the report through the grapevine of having sexual, the sexual immorality going on. Uh, there's three guys who come for a visit, three Greek guys. You'll study about them this week. They come for a visit. They fill him in on more stuff that's happening. Uh, the church actually sends an official letter to him saying, hey, we're trying to figure out a bunch of issues. Could you give us some advice? And so he mentions in that letter. You'll study about that this week. So what's happening? Here he is 200 miles away in Ephesus. No fax, no cell phone, no landlines, no video conferencing, no email. And like, what do you do if you're the Apostle Paul? You see this church self-destructing. Well, what he does is he writes this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, okay? And so as we get in it, this this is the world we're stepping into, you know? And it's amazing to me at how similar it is to the church in America today and how, like, lack of difference there often is. Like the same things that are happening in the culture are often happening in the church, just like in Corinth, you see? And so this can be real powerful for us. Now, the heart of the issue. What was the real, what was the core problem in Corinth? Well, here's what I think it is. The core problem in Corinth was that though they had come to Jesus, they'd been born again, no question, they were, they were believers. And though God had shown up and done amazing supernatural things in their life, they had never really learned to change the way they thought about life. They had the same old value systems as before they came to Jesus. So they had come to Christ, had these new experiences, but they really were thinking like pagans. Like they were just thinking like the world around them. The irony is, is that they saw themselves as very sophisticated and mature. So it's really hard to teach someone how to do it right if they think they're really mature, right? So this was the, the situation Paul's in. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 3. So a couple chapters in. Chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Brothers, I couldn't really address you as spiritual. See, the Corinthians saw themselves as very spiritual, very sophisticated, very mature, very you know, spiritually mature people. He says, I couldn't really address you as spiritual, but as worldly um, you're just like your culture, you see. You're not really like being led by the Spirit. You're really being led by your culture. He said, so you're actually like mere infants in Christ. I know you think yourselves really mature, but you're really like, more like spiritual babies. He said, when I was there, I gave you milk, like basic spiritual teaching, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it at the time. But he says, now here it is like three years later, and indeed you're still not ready. You're still worldly. 
So you still haven't changed the way you're thinking. Boy, there's a, remember I told you that I was going to get practical every once in a while today? Okay, here it is, so wake up. <laughs> okay. I want you to catch this. It is possible to come to Jesus, to be born again, to have amazing spiritual, supernatural experiences, and yet never grow up spiritually. And it happens all the time. You'll meet someone who's been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. They can see themselves as very mature. But in reality, because they've been in church for so long, they know all the songs. They know a little bit about the Bible because of all those years of sitting there or whatever. But the reality is they haven't really been in school with Jesus for 40 years. In reality, they repeated the first grade 40 times. You see? And we're like, man, I've been going to school for 30 years. And we're like, wow, you should have a PhD. And the reality is like, no, flunk, go back, flunk, repeat, flunk, repeat, you see? And I want you to catch this. This is a very real danger. And to a large extent, I think this describes the church in America. Boy, we're a mile wide and an inch deep. Very, un, you know, very little difference many times with our culture, you see. And, and the irony is, here's the church of Corinth thinking like, man, we are together. We are cool. Uh, Paul's going to say over and over again, you're puffed up. And what he says is like, you've got an inflated self-ego. You've got a big head, you know? But it's not, it's not reality. Now, so this whole thing is, if we are going to grow up, it's Church of Rocky Peak, it will happen because we change the way we think, you see? It's not about spiritual experience. It's not about just being born again. It's about growing up, changing the way we think. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul explains how this kind of transformation happens in our life. How do we grow up spiritually? How are we transformed? How do we change? And this is a passage we look back at the beginning of the year, uh, the very first messages of the year. Chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul writing to the Roman Christians and talking about how transformation happens in our life. Verse 2, he says, okay, here's how it happens. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I remember when I was a boy, and, and now that I'm getting older, some of you will not remember this, but when I was a boy, I remember when like molded jello um, things came in. To, you know, like when you're real small, just jello came in a pan. You know, it's just like, it was flat. It was, you know, you might put whipped cream on top, whatever. But there, the, then we moved into the new jello form age. You know, it's just a real step forward in the history of jello. And so what, what would happen, I remember my mom would get these different um, like, like uh, kind of plastic uh, containers and, and um, you could pour the jello into it and you could even change the mold at the bottom of them. And so the jello, when you, when it would, after it would solidify, you know, you'd put it upside down and it would come out and it would be all molded around the edges and it'd have like a star on top or if it was a different holiday, an Easter egg or whatever. Yeah. Some of you are shaking your heads like, you remember those days. It's high tech. It was really high tech. And... Um, uh, yeah, uh, then TV came in. It was really, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, the whole thing about Jello is you take this stuff that's very moldable and you, you put it in this form and then you let it solidify and it comes out just like the form. That's how Jello works, right? And so, what Paul's saying is he's saying, you guys are like, uh, don't be like Jello Christians. You know, like don't just mold to the culture around you. Hey, the culture changes their views. Oh, we used to think this was wrong. Oh, now we think it's right. And he says, don't be like the Christian that just kind of goes, okay. And now we molded to the culture. We, we just kind of, we shift and we just become like the culture. He says, don't do that. He says, don't be conformed to your uh, age. See, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Remember at the beginning of the year, we looked at that word transform, the Greek word metamorpho. We've got our word metamorphosis from that. Remember that? It's the process that a tadpole goes through to become a frog. It's the process that a caterpillar goes through to become a, 
a butterfly. So Paul says, hey, don't, you came out of a tadpole world. Don't be tadpoles. You know, grow up. There's a new life out there for you. Don't live your life as a caterpillar. Spread your wings. Become a butterfly. Be transformed. How does that happen? How does that transformation happen? Well, he tells us, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. You see, it's as our minds are changed. It's as our values are changed that our lives change. And then he says, okay, now when that happens, then at that point, you will be able to test and approve. In other words, experience. You'll be able to experience what God's will for your life is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Do you realize that God has a plan for your life? He's got a plan for my life. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. But do you understand that unless our minds are renewed, we will never experience that? It's possible to come to Jesus, be converted, have a true conversion, a real experience of being born again, and yet to never be transformed. And that's exactly what happened to the Corinthians. And so here they were, they're Christians, yes. Followers of Jesus, yes. Spiritual gifts, yes. Supernatural, yes. Transformed, no. And they've got a church of immorality and fights and leadership problems and squabbles and they're still partying and hanging out at temples and their lives aren't transformed and their marriages are in trouble, you see, because there was no transformation of the way that they thought. Okay. Let's go on. Uh, setting the stage, Paul's intro to the letter. Let's just take a, a quick pass to the first nine verses. Now, ancient letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, ancient letters, they would start off, would tell you right away who it's from, who it's to. I mean, they're written on scrolls lots of times. You want to roll to the end of the scroll. Kind of like email today. It tells you, right, you know, who it's from, who it's to. And so that's kind of nice. You know, in the old letters, you, you, someone writes you a nine-page letter. You, you don't know who it's from. You've got to go to the end of the letter to see who wrote this. So they would tell you right off. They would always have some greetings. It was just very typical of a Greek letter, the grace to you or something like that. And so it starts off like a normal letter. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's a messenger of Christ. Uh, he's chosen by the will of God. It's not something he chose for himself. God chose him to be this uh, messenger. And it's from our brother Sosthenes. We don't really know who Sosthenes is. Uh, as you read in Acts 18 this week, you'll find out that one of the synagogue rulers in Corinth was a man named Sosthenes. And it might be that he became a Christian. This is the guy. We don't know. Uh, okay, so that's who it's from. It's from Paul. Now, who's it to? Well, it's to the church of God in Corinth, God's people in Corinth. And we, we enter into some difficult language here. And we're going to have you underline in your Bible. To those, I'm going to un- have you underline two words. Underline the word sanctify and under- underline the word holy. Now the reason I'm having you underline both those words is they're the same word in the Greek. You can't see it in the English. The same work. And, and to be sanctified or to be holy means to be set apart for a special purpose. So... Uh, so in other words, like in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was sanctified. They were set apart to be God's people. They had a unique relationship, right? Well, in the New Testament, the church is set apart to this unique relationship with God. We're the people of God. We're sanctified. We're, we're to be holy, separate, different. Okay, we're, we have a unique relationship. That's what he's saying. So he says to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, you're called to be holy, And it's uh, together with uh, all those everywhere, like Rocky Peak, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the the people of God at Corinth, they're set apart for God. And he says, and we're all part of the same church everywhere. Wherever we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, which we're followers of Jesus, we're all in this together, called to be holy. All right. Then he gives the little greeting. Grace and peace to you. Uh, Grace, uh, God's love that we don't deserve. Peace, the impact of that love. Once we have forgiveness in Christ, we have peace with God. And so he just says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he starts to do a little thanksgiving. And it's interesting because for a church that's this messed up, he's really positive. And here's a great lesson there. Paul's looking for the positives, you know. He's starting out for the positives. And he says, I know you're messed up, but he didn't say that yet, but he knows, in his, <laughs> he knows how messed up they are. But he says, you know, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I'm just thankful. I know you've got problems. I know there are issues, but you know, you're God's people. And I just love you. 
You know, and I'm so thankful. I know there's issues, but I'm thankful for what God's done in your life. You may not be walking with Jesus the way you should be, but God's called you to be his followers, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Now, remember I said the next three verses hang together, four, five, uh, four, five six, and seven. They all hang together. Um, remember what I said that uh, a major theme in the book of Corinth, and the letter of Corinth, is this whole issue of spiritual gifts, right? This whole issue of God supernaturally giving them gifts, especially speaking gifts like tongues and prophecy and things like that, and knowledge gifts, uh, uh, giving them supernatural insights and knowledge and all. There was uh, like the gift of knowledge. And, and the Corinthians, um, they just were really into these gifts, these speaking gifts and these knowledge gifts. And so Paul is going to acknowledge that God has really worked in your, your, your presence in, in your church in an amazing way, supernaturally in these gifts. And that's what the next three verses are about. So he says, um, I, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ. Remember we said earlier in the year, we were studying this, we said that grace often means God's undeserved love in our lives. But Paul also uses that uh, term, grace, to refer to the supernatural giftings of the Spirit, supernatural empowerings, supernatural abilities that God gives us as a result of his love that we don't deserve. So we could say he graces us with certain abilities. He graces us with certain powers or energizings, things like that. And that's what he's talking about here. I thank God for you because of his grace, the way he's graced you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you've been enriched in every way. Since you came to Jesus, um, he has made your life better in every way. You've been enriched. And he says in your speaking, the speaking gifts we're talking about, all your knowledge, those knowledge gifts, because our, our testimony about Christ, so when we came, the message we brought about Christ, it was confirmed in you. We'll talk about this uh, in the coming weeks, but when God comes into a person's life, um, he often confirms his work in that person's life in a variety of ways. I remember at a welcome dessert a few months ago, talking to a young lady who had come to Christ through reading a popular Christian book. And she didn't even have the language yet to talk about what had happened to her. But she'd read this book and she'd asked God into her life. And she said, my life has just changed. I don't even understand it. Well, what was happening? God was confirming the testimony of Christ in her life. Uh, some of you, when you came to Christ, there was an overwhelming sense of peace in your life. It just this peace came upon you. You couldn't explain what was happening? God was confirming the message of the testimony. Sometimes certain spiritual gifts that happen, certain other kinds of things that happen. But the point is, is that God has ways of confirming the truth of the message. So the message comes, but when we get it, God confirms it supernaturally. And that happens when we come to Christ. And so that's what he's referring to. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift Remember, that's a big theme of the book. You, know, you don't like any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus to be revealed, to come, for him to come back. Now, this is a very interesting thing to me because here was a church that was totally abusing the spiritual gifts, totally messed up in how they were using it. Big problem. But instead of saying, wow, you're totally abusing the gifts, get rid of them. He says, yeah, I'm so thankful that God's given you, gifted you this way. He says, I'll work with you later on how we need to use these things. But, you know, many times God gives us gifts in our life that we abuse, don't we? We don't use them the right way for the right reasons. But God doesn't want to take away those gifts. He wants to use those gifts in our life in a variety of ways. Verse 8, then he a great promise as he wraps up the introduction. He will keep you. Jesus will keep you strong to the end. You're a new believer the promise to you is Jesus will keep you strong to the end. If we're willing to follow, he will lead. Even a church that's this messed up, Paul says his promise that, you know what? If you're willing to walk with him, he will keep you strong to the end so you'll be blameless when he returns on the day of Jesus Christ. And God who has called you into fellowship with his son, it's God who starts the process, isn't it? When we come to Jesus, it's not our idea. He's the one who draws us. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless I draw him. And so God is the one who's called us into fellowship with his son. He started the process. Um, like he says in, in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so he says, God who's, who's, who's called you into fellowship with his son, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Even when we are faithless, even when we get off track, he is faithful to bring us back. Beautiful promise. Now, so that's the intro. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time we have left, I want to wrap this thing up by talking about three incredibly important life principles. We're going to get real practical here. That, we, that jump out at me from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and we'll be studying them more, but we want to launch with these three. Number one, first thing that I think we need to pull out of our study today is that it is not enough to come to Christ. First thing we need to pick up is that it is not enough to come to Christ. You say, what do you mean it's not enough to come to Christ? What I mean is that when you come to Christ and you're born again, that is the beginning of the story, not the end of the story. All of us today were born. And that's great. And so we all need to be born again spiritually, right? We all need to come to Christ. But the reason you're born is so you can grow up and have a life. The purpose of being born is not just to be born and be this baby. The purpose of birth is to prepare you for the life God has for you. And so it's not enough just to come to Christ. It's not the, it's not the last step in your journey, it's the first step. I've observed this over my life, my lifetime, talking to some Christians, and you say, what has God done in your life? And they will go back 10, 20, 30, 40 years to tell you about that night in that little church in Atlanta when they gave their life to Jesus. What is it? It's a birth story. You know? Now, great story. We all need to birth. But I didn't ask you how you were born. I said, what's God doing in your life? You see, it's following Jesus is not about the birth. It's about the life. And it's all about growing up. I love babies. The older my kids get, and the more I forget what it's really like to have a baby, the more I love babies. (laughs) We had a welcome dessert last night. It was great. We had a couple there with, uh, I think, a three-week-old. We had a couple there with twins that were seven months old. And uh, it's so great for them, you know? (laughs) Isn't it awesome? I love babies. I love being around babies. I love it when, especially when someone else's baby now, you know, because they're just so cute. Uh, and babies are fun, aren't they? They're just great. When a baby's just, you know, very small, just so fun to play with, to watch. I remember when, when our oldest daughter was, was born and she gets old enough to be in a high chair and we had those high chairs and we had one of those, I don't think they still have them now, but it was like a suction cup ducky. And so you stick the suction cup on there, and then, you know, you, you, you hit the ducky, and it goes back and forth, and then, you know, the baby loves it. It's so cute, and also awesome, and you watch. I get bored, you know. I, I watch a little while. I'm a little bored, and so I want a little more action. So I take the, the, the suction cup off, and my daughter was really bald. I'd stick it on her head. And now, now we're having fun. She's looking around. The ducky's moving. She can't figure out what's going on, you know. I just, I just love babies. It's just fun, you know, to play with um, she would always, I remember she always wanted to eat whatever I was eating, she was eating. And so uh, I'd have like these big dill pickles sometimes, you know. And when she bite into that, whoa, what a surprise. It's fun, just fun stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, she's turned out fairly well. The therapy's helped. It's just, uh, uh, we're back on a first name basis. And, uh, but you know, our babies are fun. They're just fun to be around. They're so cute. Uh, you remember that stage if you had children or you have them now, when, when you start feeding them baby food, you know, now, now baby food, I think it's a conspiracy. It's a, uh, you know, no adult would eat baby food, right? The only reason babies eat baby food is because they don't smart enough to know there's alternatives in life. And so we take all the things in life that we don't want and we puree them and we cream them and we say, here you are, this is what food is. And, and they believe us. And so, you remember, they, they first like those baby green peas. I mean, it's like, uh, it's really, it's just like, you just look at them. You've you got to be kidding me. I thought you loved your child. And no, no, here, this is good for you. And, and so, but you remember, they just first start off with a spoon, and, and they can't hardly handle it. And so the spoon's going on top of their head, and it's going on their back, and, and down their, their, you know, their, their front. And, and they've got it all over their face. And, and it's so fun. You know, it's, you just watch them. It's like, it's so cute. And you go, oh, isn't that cute, you know? But you know, when they're 15, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> It's like, you know, by the time they're, you know, adolescent, you want them to find the mouth. You know, wipe your face. Not funny any longer. You know, 
Um, you know, you're holding the little baby and you're around your friends and you're holding and you hear this little rumble in the diaper. And the baby starts smiling. And everyone around goes, oh, that's so cute. You know, when your kid's 18, not funny anymore, right? It's like, hey, let's, it, this is not funny. See, what's really cute of a one-year-old is not cute in a 15-year-old. And what Paul is saying is here is, hey, guys, it's time to grow up. It's like you're not babies anymore. You've been following Jesus a few years. It's time to grow up. It was really great you were born again. But it's not funny if you're still in the bassinet when you're 15. You know, it's time to grow up. Life following Jesus is not just about being born. It's about the life. Okay, number two. It's not enough to have supernatural experiences. Now, I'm all about the supernatural. This is one of the huge themes of my life. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. I, I really believe that the pendulum has swung way too far in Christian circles where we're just like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, uh, just, you know, just kind of go by faith or whatever. We just saw there that Paul said, when God showed up in your life, God demonstrated it, right? And so we're going to talk. So, so God shows up, and I, I love to have a, a church and people, well, we're experiencing God in our life. That's what it's about. And so when you go to the Word and you sense God speaking to you through His Word, you know, and you're experiencing God, and when you pray and you see answers to prayer, and when we, um, you go to a Promise Keepers event and God touches you, or you go to a woman's retreat and God meets you, and it's, the Christian life is a supernatural journey, and we're going to talk about that. So I'm all for experience. Don't get me wrong here. But the, the Corinthians thought that they were mature because of their experiences. They went around thinking that they really had this thing wired because they had all these supernatural experiences. Can I tell you something? There is no correlation between the supernatural and maturity. There's no correlation. You can be the most immature believer in the world and God chooses to bless you with supernatural experience. You see? But many times in our life, we will seek after the supernatural experience thinking that that is the key to growing up into maturity. That's the mistake they made. Okay? So it's not about just coming to Jesus. It's not about and being converted. It's not just about spiritual experiences. What's it about? Well, number three, this is what I've been saying all day long, that we have to change the way we think. That if we want to be transformed if we want to be, go through the metamorphosis, if we want to experience God's will for our life, that's which good and perfect and pleasing, then we have to have our minds renewed. See, the Corinthians had all these other things, but their minds weren't renewed, and so their lives were a mess. And so it will be with us until our minds are renewed. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens as we study his word together. The word of God renews our minds. You see? How does that happen? It happens as we learn to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and he renews our minds. And it happens especially as we stand against the culture and we say, I know my culture. I know the world does it this way. I know that's their value system. But the word and the spirit, they're calling me a different way. And as we listen to the word and the spirit standing against the culture, we move from tadpoles to frogs. We move from caterpillars to butterfly. And we experience a whole new degree of life and a whole new degree of freedom and we experience God's will, which is good and perfect and pleasing. This is going to be an amazing journey. I know today has been pretty academic. I thank you for hanging in there, those of you that this is not your thing. But it's so important to lay that foundation. In the coming weeks, we're going, to walk, we're going to take this journey with the Apostle Paul through the town of Corinth. We're going to get to listen in on his conversations. We're going to look over his shoulder as he teaches his church what does it mean to think like Jesus. And we're, as, with each issue as he comes up, he's going to do an issue with leadership and issues of accountability and sexuality and divorce and marriage and um, lifestyle issues and spiritual gifts and all these things, we're going to get to listen in with them each step along the way. And in the process, God is going to give us the chance to change the way we think. And as that happens, we are going to be transformed. Can I tell you something? We will be a different congregation by the end of September than we are now. That if we are open to the leading of God and the opening of the work of His Spirit, we will be a different congregation then than we will now because this Word is going to work on us week after week 
and it's going to transform our way of thinking so that our minds can be transformed and so we can experience that metamorphosis, that change that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for this amazing book. God, just such wisdom in it, such insight. And as we come together, we pray that you would be opening our minds to your scriptures week after week after week and that we would begin to experience that amazing metamorphosis that happens as we begin to see life from a totally different point of view. And we no longer see it from the perspective of the caterpillar that's on ground level, but we've been freed up and we see life from the perspective of a butterfly and oh, the difference. And so, God, we just pray that you would lead us as a church, as individuals, as a congregation. Will you lead us into your perfect will for our lives, that which is good and that which is pleasing and that which is perfect through the transformation as our minds are renewed. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking, a uh, working title, we'll see if it stays, is, is counterculture. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be saying is that to be followers of Jesus, we have to develop the courage to be counterculture. That at our core, the message of Jesus is countercultural. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to embrace that, understand, hey, we're called to be butterflies, not caterpillars. We're going to be different, you see? It's like you know, the only way we can be the same is stay caterpillars. And so um, we're going to be talking about that next week as we, we'll be going through the rest of chapter 1. So if you want to get a head start, uh, you know, just read through chapter 1 a couple times this week as well. Do your life group homework, and you'll be in good shape as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that is anti-Jesus, you see, at, at its core, uh, whether they know it or not, you know. And so uh, we'll be we're talking about that. So God bless you. Have a great week. May this be a week where God just meets you in fresh and powerful ways and a week where you grow in the study of his word and so he can shape and renew your mind. We'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.